Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra sinful edition of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast, where the HMS Pinafore sails full steam ahead and straight into a heavy metal iceberg. And speaking of fools, I'm Aaron. And speaking of fools, team, it's Spencer the Broadway Spy. How's it going? Going great, Aaron. I'm really excited for today's guest. Yeah, awesome. Although for the listeners at home, you're back at school and you've got class in about six minutes. So you are going to have to skedaddle off and do your mathematics and your reading, writing and arithmetic. You just said two words that meant the same thing. I'll take the mathematics out. Reading, writing and arithmetic. The three R's. Exactly. Anyways, how are you going? Well, that was for me. Uh, that was for you. You are the other person sitting on this Zoom call because our guest has not yet come into the room. Um, It's good. You know, school's starting. I'm excited to be back. I'm already tired. But yeah, things are going well. I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. What was I going to say? There was something I was going to throw in there. This is going great so far. This is going great so far. That's where it was meant to be a disclaimer about last week's announcement of this week's episode that I promised I wouldn't be in it. I'm sorry to disappoint you all. I'm here. Uh, The episode that we've got, it's recorded halfway through editing. We do need to hold off on for a couple of weeks for various reasons, technical and unforeseen, is the usual bullshit they would give you in this circumstance. So let's say that. Due to unforeseen circumstances. Anyway, Spencer, how's your week been? Great so far. You know, a lot of classes, a lot of fun, a lot of students. Going to take a group of students to see Hamilton this week, so I'm very excited for that. And yeah, you know, just getting back into the swing of things. So that's what you need to do out there. If you're trying to get a ticket to Hamilton, people, just abduct a group of 15 students. You underestimate my event planning. That was a joke, Spence. That was a funny joke. It was it? Yes, it was. I, the, I could hear the audience laughing. We'll move on. Anyways, guess what? No. Nope. We have a royally legendary diva warrior on the dance floor tonight. And with this many letters in her name, I think we just found the seven deadliest sins. Because this killer queen was forged in the fires of Mount Goddess by goddesses for goddesses and gay boys. And she'll <laughs> no doubt leave a dent on our screens after shock treatment. And quite frankly, my dear, I do give a damn. So let's flood the waters of the Glamazon River and prepare for hitching a ride on the HMS Cinefor cruising to to where do nice girls go again oh yeah the american playhouse of course way out in a foreign body of water where it would be so easy to cry mutiny and override the captain and his men of which there are a lot so many men but so little time oh wait where was i see what you did there oh yeah Men, I know you can't hurry love, but I cross my broken heart. You keep me hanging on for love on a mountaintop. But if I let you go, who's going to catch me when I fall right back where we started from? Or will you lay me down easy? I don't have nine lives because I don't believe in miracles, only jellicles like the cats in the alley between Smokey Joe's Cafe and the Little Shop of Horrors in downtown Chicago. Plus today's chosen, Fursicle. 
So whilst I'm on my way to the top of the pops, ready for Tracy Ullman's show down, don't tell me not to cry out a huge Aussie g'day, followed by a this is your life, because I just can't help it. And oh boy, you've got a lot to learn about this GTO, genuinely talented original, who is in a league of their own, with stints on Celeb Pointless, Celeb to Chase, Would I Lie to You? No, because all in all, she's not just the lovely host of The Wall game, but a judge, mentor, host, guest, and or contestant by bringing the real tea to I'm a celebrity, the ice tea to dancing on ice, the tea birds to <laughs> grease is the word, the real exes to the X factor and extra factor, plus the future exes in celebs go dating and first date, which saw everybody shopping for love, love, love before this honorary antipodian hopped into a roux for the masked singer, which rumor has it is the RuPaul's upcoming season of Drag Race UK, but that's only a rumor. So don't sue me. I'm not a glutton for punishment. Now, before I get myself into any more trouble, I'm bursting with pride because it feels like the first time we're welcoming legit disco royalty into the chamber who reigns with the queens of pop from Aretha to Z Whitney and become the envy of us all when she rose into womanhood with a disco ball above and a toy boy or two below. So rock me slow because I'm so macho excited to celebrate the mama sins angel who's spreading out her wings to mentor and guide the Atina 16, a group of upcoming music artists whose rising stars are as bright as the halo on the head of this singing, dancing, modeling, mentoring, acting, producing mother of Scarlet, which is also the color of my face as I run out of breath. But it'd be a shame, shame, shame to pass out on the home stretch especially if you do want to know where did our love go and luckily all the love and affection is right here because i just want to <laughs> spend time with this iconic darling of fashion it's queen mama sunita holy shit you are on my show what is going on in the world I oh have... my god goodness gracious me sorry, sorry could you could you just do that again because it was so fabulous <laughs> no no i draw the line and you know what? i've had to do it twice for a guest oh my god because i wasn't recording the first time oh my god were you recording yes this time i'm recording thank Thank God. Were you recording that? Yes. Oh my God, can I have a copy? Yes. I yes. want people to say that every time I go anywhere. Yep, awesome. Because that was amazing. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm dying at the moment. How are you going? You're not out of breath like I am. <laughs> I'm really good. Yeah. I'm really good, really good. And Scarlett even barked at her name check. Did you hear her? No, I didn't because I'm oh. too busy trying not to stumble and fall. When you said Mother of Scarlett, she actually barked. So I was like, yes, you know, well-trained. Good girl. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And I said it with a lot of excitement because if anyone listens to this show, they know that I love puppies and I was crying out for oh. a puppy for, I don't know, 40 episodes, 50, 60 episodes. And we finally got a puppy. Yay. So I introduced the puppy on the show. So. Oh my gosh. Well, she will be making an appearance. She's just eating over there and then she will make an appearance yeah oh awesome so how exciting is this you look good i like what you're wearing oh thank you very much well actually i've got a question about that I'll, I'll do it later because firstly i need to know are the rumors true because according to the daily star and edinburgh news tap your nose for yes if you're going to be a guest on drag race uk that's all right no 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 that's fine we'll move on very very quickly <laughs> no comment but I love that show. How good is it? I love that show. It's so much fun. Yep, we just had Peppermint on. Did you? Yes, last week. It's actually on Wikipedia. It is on... Um, is it? Yeah, it's on... Because it was in the Daily Mail and the Edinburgh News. But how did they get it? How did they get how did they get that? Because we're not allowed to say anything. With all due respect to the BBC, they're new to the world of Wonder Game, the mm -hmm. Drag Race game. 
There's not a season of Drag Race around the world where even the cast list of queens isn't released online by somebody because people will go onto the social (laughs) media, right? And they will write down, okay, so this person was gone for six weeks in the month of June. Oh, wow. That's when they were filming in America. And they connect the dots. You know what I mean? Wow. So they, they go that far to find out. Mm-hmm. Wow. So technically, okay. I don't think we're really breaking any embargo that the gays of this world, like my community, we're not already breaking constantly. And I'm, I'm pretty certain World of Wonder, like I think if they want to pull the wool over our eyes, mm-hmm. do a whole season of Drag Kings. No one's watching when the Drag Kings disappear from social media. Oh my God, I want to be a drag king. Did you see me when I did Simon? Well, I've been looking at your fashion. Did you see me do drag as Simonita Carlita? No, no, I didn't. And I turned up to the Britain's Got Talent um, press launch and at first nobody recognised me and then the pap started going, that's not Sunita, that's Simon. And they got it and they took the whole thing and it actually looked really good. I did it with, he looked great. I look better than him. So, Manita. No, I, and I've been diving into all your fashion. I can't find it here on Google Image, Simon. There was a, um, a NASA outfit you wore on a uh, red carpet that I was living for. I'm like, yes, that's what I want to do. Like stunts like that where I just <laughs> like, maybe just get some overalls or something like that. And then maybe wear, because I have really <laughs> skinny arms and so maybe just wear some really bulky arms or something like that with lots of gold jewelry or just <laughs> real stupid stuff because I just feel like doing that that day. Yeah. So, um, oh, here we go. Here we go. Look. Oh, wow. I look good, right? That is... I mean, and nobody kind of, nobody got it. I think I'm just ahead of the curve. I'm ahead of my time too much because everybody was like, what the hell is wrong with her? And they totally didn't get it. And I was like, I thought it looked so fabulous. The jeans fit. I had the Cuban, you know, the Baluti shoes, the Armani jeans, the perfect outfit, had the hairy chest. Yep. I mean. And the beard. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's wonderful. And the hair. That's wonderful. For for listeners at home, we're going to have to put that on the social medias and show everyone that because we, we're not a video <laughs> podcast because, as I say, I record it all hours of the night. I'm not having the world. No, mm. I get dressed up for my guests. That's it. But oh. I get dressed up for my guests, not for the world. As It is a sign of respect. Well, I appreciate it. You smell good too. Oh, thank you very much. Just saying. Yes, I always brush my teeth as well. Like I'm on yeah. Zoom. I'm not in the room with anybody, but I do always brush my teeth. Well, you've got to feel it. You've got to feel it. That's it. I love it. Oh my god, but I love that. If there was a if there was a drag queen show, yes, we the, should we should host it. I reckon. I mean, mm. surely there's got to be one. I know some do mix, uh, but anyways, we'll move on because you have been a judge on TV and a mentor and a guest judge and and all that jazz, especially with X Factor and Greece is the word. And now you're literally taking on young artists under your wing. On your podcast, Sunita Podtails. Uh, so, firstly, mm-hmm. I declare thee the first Nora one, and you'll be the only one. But that's oh, so I'm taking you under my wing now. A Nora one. What's my talent? Being an absolute superstar. That's what. And secondly, could you tell our listeners about this project? What you're looking for in in each of these unique artists? 
basically it's people who I've just find online mm -hmm. who are amazing. So it's like they send me clips of themselves doing something. And then if I like it, I invite them to my studio in my house. Mm -hmm. We record some tracks. We work together, find out who they are, and then just try to help push them forward. Take them on stage with me. If I have a gig, you know, my gig suddenly turns into, oh, and here's a guest artist mm -hmm. <laughs> performing. <laughs> but it's fun. It's cool. They're really talented and kind of diverse group of people. Fearless. You know, when you're just passionate about what you do and you'll, yep. you'll do it for nothing anyway so you're doing it anyway but mm -hmm. so good that you need to be discovered so these are my these are my talented people yeah oh wonderful yeah. um yeah. That's, it's funny because spencer he's as i say he's only 21 he's in college he's sort of said a few times that i discovered him or whatnot and I, i've said as well so jokingly about that and it's there is sort of a, a mentorish vibe in that he's you know younger than me he's working under me on this sort of trying mm -hmm. to build this network up and we complement each other so well in that we have a lot of the same skill sets that overlap but so many different ones as well we're able to talk to each other but also say no to each other most importantly like so how did you find him how did you find him that's why he says i discovered him just online on twitter he was seeing every show on broadway and i sort of invited him to do reviews on the show in our ad break yeah. um and then oh cool suddenly he's a host and a producer and he's booked a broadway legend on his own so yeah wow. it's sort of that that same sort of vibe of taking him under my wing but more so we're working together more than i'm yeah. nurturing you know human and it's fun it's more fun i think yeah that's it growing up yourself you had two incredibly talented and successful women to look up to and guide you for the listeners at home of course i'm talking about michael brown your queen mum of disco Mama. goodness gracious me <laughs> and your step auntie i believe amy stewart yeah. knock on wood stewart, yeah the royalty in the studio today, ladies and gentlemen, goodness gracious me. Now, how much of their influence and guidance is shining through now as you take these kids on? Wow. I mean, it was funny because they weren't really kind of, oh, thank you, Scarlett. Thank you, co-host. <laughs> they weren't really mentoring and guiding. It was more that I was backstage and in the dressing room, in their costumes, yep. in the makeup, mm -hmm. just wanting <laughs> to see them, you know. Yep. And so... I think I was more like the precocious kid who was just couldn't wait to get out there and do it myself. These kids are kind of more like they're singer songwriters at home, sort of in their bedrooms, doing it for themselves already and posting stuff. You know, I just was like, wow, blown away. Like some of the, one of the girls I met when she was 14 and uh, she's a little producer now, you know, she's producing, she's writing and producing for some of the other kids. And she's just, uh, I think I kind of want them to, be able to do what I did and that's to be able to do what they love for a living so they never have to have a proper job ever in their lives <laughs> yeah oh wow uh, well we've got more questions about it later but one more thing before we move on to the medal you were on I'm a celebrity mm -hmm. so what is worse Vegemite or Bush Tucker literally Bush Tucker yep I love Vegemite oh awesome Marmite as well. I'm I'm that girl. I like it with peanut butter. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. And a toasted cheese sandwich as well. Yeah. Oh Perfect. my god. See. Yep. Yeah. I don't get. I don't understand people who don't like that. No, that's <laughs> it. You are welcome on this show anytime. Yay. Anyways, well, well, you know what? The the segue there was speaking of stomach churning, but we were talking about yummy things. You're the queen of pop. 
But are you the monarch of metal? How much experience have you had with thrash metal, death metal, glam metal, industrial metal? Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Um, yeah. Okay, so I grew up, I knew Meatloaf when I was little. Does that count? Yeah, very like much. Like a Yeah. So he sang Aquarius in, in uh, Hair, the musical that my mother was in. And he used to sing it with a microphone, a cappella, to the whole audience and bring the house down. This was when he was super young, but I was a baby. But that was my first sort of experience, a rock star face to face. But of course, he wasn't famous then, but he was already called Meatloaf then. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think they called Meatloaf because he was just a big chunk of a man, you know? Yeah. Well, of course, Hair was a rock musical. Mm -hmm. even though it's probably more poppy than rocky jesus christ superstar was a rock opera so you know there's always been like rock and roll around me even though it's the genre music that i really sort of sang or got into yeah i've got goosebumps you're talking about meatloaf because only what was it we're on episode 101 so episode 98 we had on an actor named earl brown who played meatloaf in the vh1 meatloaf tally movie so he came on my show again one-on-one -on -one, because my co-hosts weren't available that day either uh -huh. he was in the original scream and something about mary deadwood like he played loaf he played meatloaf and so he was telling me these wow. stories about meeting meatloaf going to his house knowing his daughter and then after the movie was released he walked past meatloaf in an airport and meat turned to him and goes oi your movie ruined my marriage oh Oops. And I didn't follow up. I did not follow up on that what? because I, I, I'm trying to be polite, respectful to my guests. I don't want to be scandalous or anything, but I'm sitting there going, oh. tell me more. I need to know more. Oh, but no, he didn't get more. Oh, my God. And he didn't elaborate. We don't know what he did. No, he didn't. Oh, my God. I don't know. But when he told me that, my arms were a little like a Muppet. <laughs> I'm sitting on my bed like I can't jump up and dance. Anyways. Also tell you that my mom used to date David Bowie. Okay, I'm going to pass out now. Okay. And this is going to bring us to Mick Ronson. And David Bowie's guitarist used to be a guy called Mick Ronson from Hull in England. And that's why I am familiar with the album Slaughter on 10th Avenue, because they were sort of family friends. So I used to go to the, well, be taken to the concerts, you know, sit in the dressing room. And Mick, I think, gave me one of his albums and signed it. So I used to listen to the album, lay on the floor with the album out, with all the lyrics to the songs on the album and play yeah. the album and listen to it in my bedroom. Yeah, my one rock album. For the listeners at home, I just literally had an out-of-body experience literally. when I heard the words, my mum dated David Bowie. My soul <laughs> left my body for a moment. <laughs> what? <laughs> what world are we in that I'm sitting in Melbourne, Australia at 2.30 a.m. hearing these stories all the time. Goodness gracious me. I made the right choice of thinking of this show, clearly. Yeah, I'm going to give you my final showbiz kind of rock and roll link. Yeah. And that is because my mom was dating David Bowie, her two best friends, Gloria Jones and Marsha Hunt, at the same time, Gloria Jones was, I don't know if they were married or not, but she was dating and had a child with Mark Bolin. Okay. That's more punk, isn't it? That was more punk rock. Punk rock, but it's still rock. Yeah, it's that same feel. Yeah. Their, their other best friend was Marsha Hunt, who was dating Mick Jagger. So Mick Jagger and Marsha Hunt had a little girl called Karis, and Karis and I grew up together. Oh, 
Wow. So you see, I mean, this was bound to happen. There was going to happen one day in my life that someone was going to want to talk to me about rock music because I've been surrounded by rock stars all my life, but never been asked anything about rock music. So here we are. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny because only a couple of hours ago I was sort of lamenting about some of the legends that we've got a yes from, but never come on the show. And mm-hmm. I said, but the universe is looking out for us. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It was meant mm-hmm. to be. Like you say, anyways, on that note, we're going to move on to the medal. And it was Diva Choice this week because you picked Slaughter on 10th Avenue. For my clothing, everything. I mean, you are just seamless. I love it. Love it. Research, research. Do so I invite the legends on? Because if I'm going to show off like this, it's got to be in front of the best of the best, clearly. <laughs> uh, anyways, you picked Slaughter on 10th Avenue, which you've just explained why. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to read my review now with that in mind. Uh <laughs> Anyways, oh, no, it's not bad. So you listen to the whole album or you just listen to the title track? No, I listen to the whole album about 20 times. Are you serious? Yes, I take this show very, very seriously. Love it or did you just listen to it so that you could so you could write about it and write a review or did but or did you actually love it as well or did you hate it so when i was first given mick ronson's debut album i immediately assumed it was the uptown funk guy and press play only to find a brooding version and and that joke won't land now because obviously you've just told this amazing story about mick ronson that you know it was oh man I literally thought it was Mark Ronson. They're two separate people. It's not the same person. Are they? But are they related? Oh, no. That would have been cute. That was the other thing yeah. I found out, that they're not the same person. They're not both named the same name or anything like that. They're nothing to do with each other. So that's sort of, that was the genesis of that joke, which now, anyways, only to find a brooding version of Love Me Tender with an added yearning fit for a breakup song. This change in tone doesn't so much erase the essence of the romantic original It simply creates something different. But as the music rises, we segue into an 80s coffee commercial. Mmm. Growing up, and I'm fine, had shades of A Day in the Life by the Beatles and was a nice change from the sulky opening act. Only after dark sounded more proto-new wave, which wasn't a thing until I just said it now. Music is Lethal, a Bowie rewritten track, which would have played really nicely in Deadwood with this being the most Bowie-esque so far. I'm the one should be track one, damn it. And the combination of piano and drums allowed Ronson's voice to soar among this dirty groove, which carried over to the next track, Pleasure Man, slash Hey Ma, Get Pa, which is when Arp, the synthesized angel, sings. The album finishes with the titular track, which kept me on my toes waiting for vocals, but was instead treated to a sampling of department store music, Dick Tracy chase music, and all the drama of 70s glam rock, with a highlight being Leave My Heart Alone, played live. It's a shame that there wasn't this much fun on other tracks, which is not to say they're bad. They're actually really great. And the influences of The Who, Kinks, Beatles, and Man From Man are ripe. This is a great Sunday chill album, four stars. Yay! I quite love this because I could hear the influences in it, but I could sort of see where he was going with it. It was his debut album, so 
he was sort of we well, didn't break off or anything he, he very much worked with or well, he worked with bowie on one track yeah and we've done a lot of sort of prog rock glam rock and i sort of felt like this maybe a few sort of rough edges here and there did let it down a little bit which is why it got four not five but i thought this did really well what other albums I thought had failed to do, and especially in the theatricality of it. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I had never heard of it before. Wow. Well, I'm so glad to turn you on to something new. I have not heard it for years and years and years because, like I said, I was given it when I was a child and I used to listen to it a lot. And then I haven't listened to it for probably 40 years or, or so. But I mean, his guitar playing as well, I think it really showcases him as a rock guitarist because solos are incredible in fact yeah. i reckon i could see the guitar solo on slaughter on 10th avenue but oh. i but i won't but you know what I mean? knowing you kind of know that know it like a song because it's so beautiful yeah yay i especially loved um well i love the the opening not the opening track the um the the grow up song and so it did feel like a better version of a day in the life by the beatles because that's very mm-hmm very experimental that's very Beatles at their point in their lives at that time I'm trying to not get sued uh <laughs> we all know what I'm meaning there let's move on very very yeah. quickly but this felt like a controlled version of that it felt like a not necessarily overproduced version because it was it was still you know it had that sort of rough 70s feel to it but it, it just felt like it was what's the word I'm looking for uh more experienced version I guess like yeah, I don't mm. know. Not that the Beatles were inexperienced at the time, but I, I don't know. I guess I, a more polished version. That's the word I'm looking for, a more polished. Polished. Yes, I like polished. Polished does it for me, yes. Yes, not to. Yes. Sorry to all the Beatles fans out there. Do not come after me on the social medias. <laughs> yeah, and I sort of I did hear a bit of Manfred Mann as well in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Which I I love. Mm-hmm. I, I love them. Um, and the Kinks definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I sort of and you always hear influences on people's debut albums. That's that's a given. What did you think of his voice? Uh, I thought it really soared in what song was it? The the live was it the live track? No, it was um the one with the dirty groove. Hang on, I I tend to throw my notes around. I like it. I think it sounds to the drama. Yeah, there, there was one particular song that I thought he he really got to showcase. Um, it was yeah. the one with the piano and drums that were sort of carried the whole song. Yeah, wow. He can sing as well. I guess they did the backing vocals and they sang the choruses with, with Bowie all the time anyway, but yeah, it's kind of kind of cool to hear him on lead vocals, yeah. Yeah, because you, yeah, you don't really hear it. I mean, Tommy Lee, I guess, I think he did a solo album, is a drummer. And Phil Collins, of course. Yeah, uh, Phil Collins, of course. Uh, now, I've just got a couple of notes on this. Okay, so Love Me Tender, immediately I have a very big soft spot for. I was in the middle of the ocean and I met a 88-year-old lady or something at the bar at 1 o'clock in the morning and we were there till 4 o'clock in the morning laughing and drinking together, the poor barman. And there was one point in the night, well, one of the nights, that the barman actually filmed us dancing to Elvis's Love Me Tender. And so there's this little snippet of me with this much older lady, 50 years older than me, lady, and unfortunately she left us earlier in the year. And I found out two months late because I've been so busy with this show and just not going on Facebook. So that song always has a soft spot in my heart now. 
but it also has six degrees of separation or six degrees of thrash and treasure because uh, the songwriter, I can't remember his name, I wrote it down on one of these pieces of paper that's somewhere around here. Look at the screen. Look at the screen. Can you see me? Oh, puppy. Oh, hello. Oh, Scarlet. Beautiful. I want cattles. Oh, I'm such. So she died, but why did she die, your friend? Oh, uh, just old age, I think it was. Oh. Yeah. I think she was 93, 94 by that point. Uh. Ken Darby. Fun fact. Now, he provided the voice for the Munchkin Mare in the film The Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland. <laughs> so, right. The Mayor of the Munchkin City, that one. But he also won two Oscars alongside Alfred Newman, whose son, David Newman, was on this show seven episodes ago. Whoa, How, what are the chances of that? I know, right? I mean, we know like we're all connected, but. Well, what did he win Oscars for? Uh, the King and I and Porgy and Bess. Oh, he shared with Andre Previn. Wow. Okay. Um, and also Camelot shared with Alfred Newman. So two with Alfred Newman and one with Andre Previn. Wow. So, yeah. They... The voice of the Munchkin Mayor. Yeah, how random is that? What's <laughs> crazy? And when I read that, I'm like, I love this industry because it just weird things pop up. It's like there's a heavy metal singer, I can't remember, Adam Jones or something. He worked on the special effects of Jurassic Park. And I really, what? really, really want him to come on my show because I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. Yeah. What did he say? Oh, he, he didn't respond, unfortunately. Not, not many people do. He will. He will. Hopefully. Uh, okay. Now, just one last thing on this and we'll move on because On Your Toes, On My Toes is a musical by Richard Rogers and Lawrence Hart. And the Slaughter on 10th Avenue is a ballet within that show. It's two gangsters are sitting there watching a ballet where a hoofa or hoofa however you pronounce it, a tap dancer um, is seeing this girl on the side. She's got a boyfriend. The boyfriend shoots him but hits the girl and kills the girl. So then the tap dancer kills the boyfriend. So that's the slaughter on 10th Avenue. Yes, that's right. That's right. So I might have to suggest On Your Toes to do as a musical coming up soon if we're able to get a copy of that. Yeah. Uh, that's a great uh, habit, yes. It looks like we're the final girls on the 10th Avenue, so we're going to plie to an ad break. Hey there, it's time to get popped on culture, the official puzzle hub pop quiz podcast, and welcome to game number five. I'm your new host, Matt Young, and for today's special theme, we're going to test your knowledge on musical groups, including bands, boy bands, girl groups, and vocal ensembles. Play against your friends, or the clock, and see how you go. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Next up, we've got our pop quiz, 10 trivia questions based on today's theme, and maybe a few bonus points if you're lucky. You'll have five seconds to guess the answer. So, ready for question number one? Zach, Taylor, and Isaac are members of which group? Hansen. Of course, they're famous for Mbop. Crash test dummies were formed in which country? Canada. Or as I like to say, Canada. Third question. Finish this album title. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the... 
The answer is Sex Pistols. The album is the 2020 debut album by which K-pop group? Blackpink. Jada Pickett-Smith performs lead vocals for which metal band? Wicked Wisdom. Said and Done was the 1995 debut album by which boy band? Boyzone. Seventh question. According to Wikipedia, the Beatles were the last band to top the U.S. Billboard end-of-year album charts. In which year did they achieve this? 2001. Which three opera singers made up the operatic supergroup The Three Tenors? One point for each correct answer. It was Placido Domingo, Jose Carreras, and Luciano Pavarotti. Are you ready for this one? Mesopotamia, Funplex, and Rock Lobster are hits by which band? The B-52s. And finally, in which year did ABBA form? That's right, the year I was born, 1972. And time's up. How did you go on that round? And how'd you go overall? Add up your scores and let us know on Twitter. And be sure to check out our other shows on the Fluke Network, especially Thrash and Treasure, where you'll hear incredible interviews with genuine icons of stage and screen. So until the next game, I've been Matt, you've been Popped on Culture, and I shall see you next time. See ya! All right, we're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron. Spencer's in class. And I'm joined by the Ark Sins Angel. It's Sunita. I am still, like, gobsmacked. Goodness gracious me. <laughs> Goodness gracious me. Now I have to ask about this shock treatment. Got a bit of ooh, shock treatment. I mean... When was the last time you watched it? Okay, I haven't watched it for a long time. Yep. But I'm so excited to get cast in that because it was the sequel to the Rocky Horror Show. So it was like such a big deal and such a big break for me. And then, you know, like Barry Humphreys was in it, you know, Dame Edna Everidge, Ruby Wax, Richard O'Brien. I mean, it was a great, great cast. So much fun to make. You know, I, I thought that I was making another piece of history like Rocky Horror. I didn't know that it was just going to be, you know, the movie that wasn't the greatest follow up. Yeah, but we love it. We love it. Us Hori, uh, Hori Rocker fans. Goodness gracious, I can't talk this morning. Us Rocky Horror fans love it because it is a camp as tits part of the Rocky Horror legacy. You get to see what happened to Brad and Jen afterwards. That's it. I mean, people want to know what happened to them. But I mean, it was such a crazy movie, crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, when I when I when I did that movie, I hadn't actually seen the Rocky Horror Show. Would you believe? I mean, I think my mother had taken me to a live version of it, but not the movie version. Mm -hmm. And I think I was a bit young because I remember just thinking, "What's happening?" Like I didn't know what was happening. It was fun, but I just had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And Rocky Horror Show was like that too. No idea what was going on. <laughs>
<laughs> but lots of fun. Yeah. I, yeah, I grew up on it and I've talked about it lots on this show and it used to get me in trouble when I was too young to know any better. Let's just say that when I was like six, seven years old and we would perform the songs in class and get in a lot of trouble. What, from Rocky Horror? Yeah. Oh, wow. At six and seven. That's cool. Yep. Shout out to Katie. Hey, Katie. With my first ever girlfriend. She um Aww. obsessed with Rocky Horror as well. And yeah, she was the one that would get in trouble with me, basically. Anyways, we'll move on before I put my foot in it anymore. Uh, we're going to move on to the musical now. And it was Diva Choice again. And you picked Hair. And we'd actually done this however many episodes ago with my first co-host. But he's long gone. Oh, you've done Hair before? He's long gone. Spencer didn't know it. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say you should have Pick something else. If I had known on your toes, I would have suggested that and and said, let's, you know, let's do the juxtaposition of the two of them. But it's all right. No, it worked out. Oh, Spencer's about to hit recess. But before he gets here, hair has been a part of yours and Queen Michael's legacies. You've both performed in separate productions. Yeah. Goodness gracious me. Talk about following in footsteps. Now, I believe you're... Mum was a part of this production, the original Broadway. Am I right? Um, I think so. Yeah, that album looks familiar. Yeah, she did the did the world tour. Oh, hey, here's some news. So she did the uh the world tour as well, and she got to go to tour Australia and stay in all they lived in Hilton hotels. I was then sent by my grandfather from Detroit to to Australia. I landed in Brisbane and we went to Brisbane. We went to Hobart. Is that Hobart where Tasmania is? Tasmania. Hobart, because uh, we stayed in the casino hotel that was a casino. And we went all over Australia. But here's the thing. When we when the tour finished there, the tour was going to England. And that's how I ended up in England. But Marcia, Marcia Hines was in the tour production as well. Marcia Demi stayed in Australia. My mom and I went to England because Marcia was offered uh, the part of Mary Magdalene in Jesus Christ Superstar. So they stayed. Um, so if it had been the other way around, I could have actually ended up growing up in Australia with my mother and Demi and Marcia in London. Goodness gracious me. And then, funnily enough, you would have turned me down and Marcia would have said yes. Da, da, da. How funny <laughs> the world works. I'll tell you that. Yep. Uh, goodness gracious me. Now, another thing I have is the movie on vinyl as well, because I am oh, yeah. obsessed with hair. But also, I found this in an op shop. It's the original Australian cast. You're saying the original Australian cast, but like from yep. 1975 or something or 72. No, this is from 1969. Oh, okay. No, that was before us. So my mum was in the, so Marsha was in the, the, the touring version, the world tour version. Yeah, because it was massively successful when it first came out. If you have a look at, like, there's a website for cast albums. There's, there was like every country who did it. It was Japan, France, Mexico, Germany, Mm -hmm. all did it within the first sort of three or four years of it being released on Broadway, which is pretty unprecedented unless you're Disney. Let's face it. Mm -hmm. You know, because they seem to be the only ones that are able to get around the world so quickly. That's right. In those days. Yeah, and they all got cast albums as well, which I love listening to. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear the Japanese one. That must be a thing. 
The, but is it, it still in English or is it in Japanese? Half and half. It's on Spotify. Wow. It is on Spotify. So I'll have to send you a link because it's yeah. every country. This is what I love about hair is they seem to have a bit of freedom to sort of play around with their skills a little bit. Right. So they get to do their own kind of interpretation or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So each one sort of has its own feeling. It's the same score. They don't, you know, change it up too much. But and then there was the. 40th anniversary which started off with like the Iraq war and stuff and I was like no don't modernize yeah. it yeah 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 I don't think it needs wow. to it really doesn't it um it's something we talk about a lot on this show is things that are dated musicals that are dated especially anyone my co-host would say this is very dated I argue this because isn't storytelling meant to transport us to a space and time that's right that's the whole point yeah I don't understand that argument that it's something's not good or something's good but it's dated that's just yeah. you're, you're taken to that place you can modernize it. I mean, when you watch The Godfather, do you want a, a modern version of The Godfather, for example, or any of those things? Exactly. No. Oh. I mean, and you can get them. There's like Baz Luhrmann did the Romeo and Juliet. He did that modern times, but with dated language. Yeah. I don't understand that. So sorry to Jonathan who said that last week about Sondheim's company. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so uh, you did this, I believe. Yes, I did it at the Young Vic in London. And I sang a quite a lot to me because, of course, I, like I told you when I was little, I remember Meatloaf sang it. And I got to be lowered from the, the ceiling of the theatre of the stage mm -hmm. by one arm hanging on this sort of crane thing. And I was lowered and moving in slow motion, singing Aquarius with a spotlight to a blacked out theatre. I mean, oh, wow. I felt like a rock star, I have to say. It was my favourite. Every person who was in that production with me is still a really good friend yeah. because we just bonded and we were so happy and thrilled to be in such an iconic show together at such an iconic theater and the band was great and oh you know it's just one of those dream jobs that you would do you, you know you do for free yeah yeah oh wow i unfortunately didn't get to be in it i did choreograph some numbers when i was in acting class did you like i choreographed the whole group doing aquarius did you yeah uh, and i was like 14 maybe 15 16 i don't remember yeah. how old exactly but i had no formal dance training but i loved choreographing wow if you can hear my tummy rubbling i apologize yeah i did that i sang donna and choreographed that did you yeah i did and it was terrible it wasn't good it was why i because i'm not a singer did you play both no no it was just just in our review like our end of year end of class sort of yeah but that's the book. you have long curly hair no i had a mohawk at the time yeah. actually i had a mohawk oh that's cool yeah it was like this long oh. uh and i also did the junior group i did the song hair with them so there was juniors intermediates and i was a senior literally all these like eight-year-olds i'm getting them to sing and dance to the song from hair if it was to happen these <laughs> days i would be cancelled on social media so darn quickly it's not funny I was an innocent <laughs> child I really was yes you were creative and innocent I was inspired yeah yeah so hair's always been a huge part of my life again like Rocky Horror 
And it's not the most appropriate thing for a child to be listening to. No, not really. No, um, I think both of them, especially hair, I think, in terms of it's some very strong language that's being used uh, and some very strong epithets, but it's sort of understanding the characters, seeing the movie, understanding, growing up and seeing that these aren't just words being said. These are people who are sort of liberating themselves from this. And I sort of, I started to learn that as I became 12, 13, 14, sort of with the whole sex thing and stuff like that that was all sort of you know coming clear and and it was all very much about liberation and the whole nude scene clicked and understood that but not that that's in the movie obviously that the movie is very very different um and i didn't realize how different the stage version was sanita until i saw it well i I mean yeah the stage version is pretty different and the nude scene but in the movie but is there, oh yeah, there was a movie of hair. Yeah, Milos Foreman. Yeah. Did you do the nude scene in your review? No, oh no, because we were kids. We were, we were under 18. So I was little when my mother was in Washington, D.C. doing, you know, yeah. one leg of the tour. We were renting a house next door to the senator's house. Yeah. And I had all the kids in the neighborhood doing my production of hair in our backyard. And I made them all strip after I had the senator's son naked in the garden and everything. And then they weren't allowed to come and play with me anymore. I don't know why. I'm not <laughs> surprised. I'm really not surprised. For me, it was recreating Rocky Horror. Exactly. It was theatre. You know, you I don't know. That's they're lost. They're lost. But anyway, so what are your favourite songs from it? that aren't the caveat here, that aren't the hits, that aren't Good Morning, Starshine or Manchester, England, England, because there are a lot of sort of uh, Walking in space. It's so you know, My body is walking in space. When, yeah. when they're all really, when they're chatting, and it's just like, oh, I love that. I love, um, oh, Easy to be Hard. Yeah. Oh, yes. A heartbreaking song. Frank Mills is pretty good. Yeah. Is that was that, that a genie who sings that? Oh, no, she sings Breathe Deep. Who sang I Met a Guy Called Frank Mills? Chrissy, I believe. Yeah, Chrissy. Chrissy's yes. song. That's beautiful as well. Um, I think when I, one of the productions I saw, it was in like a massive hall, like a, a symphony hall. Hamer Hall. Olivia Newton-John's daughter, Chloe, I believe, sang Frank Mills. Oh, was she Chrissy? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Oh, and of course there's white boys are so pretty, black guys are so sweet. I love that as well. That's a good one. Diane Keaton sings that on the Broadway. Does she? Yeah, I believe. Diane Keaton was in it. It should say, where's Ooh. Diane? Yeah, Diane Keaton. But Diane Keaton actually chose not to do the nude scene, Rebel. Um, But yeah, she, she sang on, yeah, she sang Black Boys. Wow. Yeah, and... I sang that. I was... I was in the Supreme Stress as well with Pepsi DeMarc. You know Pepsi and Shirley from Wham? Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, there was one Pepsi and Shirley. So Pepsi was in my production of Hair as well. So we were in the Supreme Stress together for uh, White Boys. Oh, wow. Yeah. I spoke about it last time on the show. I actually saw a mostly white production of this show. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, they shouldn't have. Let's just say that. They tried to reinterpret the black boys, white boys numbers. Let's just say. And I'm not going to go there because mm. it was very, very disturbing. Oh, dear. But what about HUD? Who played HUD, the black guy? They had one sort of Maori guy played HUD and they had one Asian girl in the ensemble. Everyone else was white. But that director <laughs> died. So karma is a thing. <laughs> well, he tried. He tried. 
Who played Mary Whitehouse? <laughs> Did they have Margaret Mead, you know, the drag thing? Yes. Um, I would just like to say that it is more perfection. We had um, a Broadway one on recently, Charles Bush. He did it. I know it was a concert where there was, there was a, an actor's fun concert. It was like Anna Gasteyer. It's got RuPaul's in it. RuPaul oh. is, is singing on that. Oh. Who else is it? I got it. It's, there's so many names on that thing. Uh, Harvey Firestein. Yeah, Harvey Firestein. That guy. Oh. Um, he sings Air. Oh. Welcome, sulfur dioxide. Oh, well, that's not what it sounds like. But sorry, Harvey. Please come on this show. Um, yeah. I also in the original Broadway cast was Mary Bond Davis, who played uh, Motormouth M- M- Maybell in the original cast of Hairspray. Oh. And next week oh, we have. Okay. An Aussie motor mouth Maybell on who is going to be playing Mama Morton in Chicago coming up, who you recently played. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much fun. Tell you what. So much fun. And I played Mama Morton um, as a lesbian, oh, which was too? so much fun because so little. I was so petite, probably the smallest girl on the stage. Yeah. I was like, I need to, you know, how am I? How am I going to interpret this? Because everybody was like, really? You're playing Mama, but aren't you a little small? And isn't your voice a little soft and cute? And I was like, just wait. Just yeah. wait. So I literally was <laughs> like, you know, I played Mama Morton as a borderline sex pest lesbian. Oh, oh, wow. And that would fit in that show pretty much. Yeah, it was fun. It was oh. fun. I mean, I used to literally make, uh, what you call it, Roxy Squirm. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've never seen it, to be honest. Not that production of it. Oh, my God, you're so good. It's so good. Everybody's hot. Everybody on stage is super hot. You know, it's crazy. My issue is that the band takes up most of the stage. So if they're getting my money for a ticket, I need a set. Yeah, but the music and and the band, it's so iconic. Like, the band are part of the show. True. You love it. You love it. Yeah, well, hopefully I'll get invited to opening night like I did recently. Anyways. And then you can review it. Tell them that you'll come, you'd like to come and review the show. Spencer, you're, you're on recess. Yes. Do you listen to hair? Um, yeah. So when listening to this show, I, you know, of course, it's about 60s. It's about, you know, feeling free, um, both literally and figuratively. Um, but I, you know, this show is not for me. And I'll say that here. I don't think that the show is something that is particularly relevant anymore. Also, I do think that it can go the way of a show like The Music Man, where it's like a cultural touchstone that's brought back every 20 or 30 years just to be like, remember what the world was like? Like, I feel like that's what this show is. You know, some of the songs are, are really nice. I, I enjoyed uh, Aquarius a lot. And of course, Hair is a great song. Um, yeah, all the hits. Yeah, I, I didn't really think that this show, particularly as an album, was anything special. Um, and I do think that, of course, it, it's difficult. Uh, I mean, at the time, it was groundbreaking, obviously. Um, but I think now with a lot of the musicals that we've gotten, it it just sounds like a lot of other things, which all sound like hit. But um, and yeah, I think it was crazy. Really interesting to see. Yeah. But I think as an album, to me, it was not my favorite. Um, because I think a show and an album are separate 
pieces of the same art. Um, and I think that uh, sometimes albums can stand on their own without the plot, without the story, without seeing it, without the direction. Um, and I don't think that this one particularly did. I think hundreds and millions of people around the world would beg to differ with you right now. Spencer, just like Jesus Christ Superstar, it's hugely popular in terms of vinyl recordings. Well, I think if we're talking about that conversation, Jesus Christ Superstar certainly stands on its own. But to me, this show just didn't. When you think about a show that's based on, you know, a, a specific era and a specific sound, um, to me, I think that sometimes it's difficult to have it not sound old. Oh, bollocks. Okay. We're going to talk about this in a couple of minutes with Sunita. Well, we talked about it a couple of minutes ago with Sunita that I bring this up, that this whole criticism of, oh, it sounds dated. Correct me if I'm wrong, world. Is storytelling not supposed to transport you? to a time and a place it it is but i do think that relevancy is something that should also be talked about because i think at listening to the original album of this it sounds like the 60s but listening to the revival recording the new broadway cast from 09 it sounds like they're copying that that old that era Whereas in hair, it sounds original in the original recording. It sounds like this original in the era. Whereas in 2009, you have people like Gavin Creel and Will Swenson and Andrew Kober and Casey Levy and all like true musical theater performers who sound like they're musical theater performers copying that sound. And that bothered me. I've said it before, musical theater kids trying to act cool or trying to act like stoners, or anything like that. Stop it. No, you just can't do it, kids. No, but here's the thing that's interesting about that. Will Swenson, who's playing Neil Diamond on Broadway right now, doesn't, and was in that revival, doesn't sound like he's trying to copy that error. Oh, okay. But that's I think that's probably more of a production, like a direction thing. I also think it's 15 years later, and you can learn a lot in 15 years. Maybe, true. I've seen it a few times on stage. I mean, it is set in the 60s, but a couple of companies around the world have set it in present day and sort of updated it here and there. But it's the tribal love rock musical, man. Like, you can't, don't, you know, that's you've got to be setting it in the 60s. I love it. Well, and I think that that's a whole conversation to be had also. And one that I'm having a lot is is about revivals and is about these shows that could still be relevant today. It is. It's always relevant. Um, but when they're revived, they're not a new revival. A lot of the time, they're just bringing a show back. Um, whereas yeah. I do think that if you bring a show like hair back, you need it needs to be a new version of hair. There needs to be a reason to bring it back. Like the Oklahoma revival that did something completely different with Oklahoma. Even Company, the recent revival where they had the gender. I've got it. Like I've got it. Exactly. Do, do the whole show nude. And then before the interval, they put on their clothes and stand there in front of the audience with their clothing on. Is there a way to eject someone from a Zoom? I'm the host, so yes, I can eject you from the Zoom. Okay, the the content within this show is very graphic in terms of the language that's used. You know, we've got songs about race, about sex, drugs, all that jazz, but it has such a strong meaning to it. Um, 
all these arguments about PC culture and what's appropriate to say and blah, 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 blah. Do you think this particular show should be immune from those arguments because the overriding message is so strong? I think when you think about a show like this and talk about a show like this, that is such a specific era, you need to... I don't think it's as possible to bring a show like this into the present day. I think that keeping it a sort of time machine, but doing something different with it is what can keep a show like this alive. Um, And, you know, remembering, like not trying to relate it to present day, because that's just going to either ruin the show or make things weird in the show. Um, And if trying to make a show like this PC just won't work. Um, But, you know, sometimes shows that have a message that is so important to hear, sometimes you need to be uncomfortable. Art needs to make people uncomfortable. Amen. And I talk about this with two of my favorite uncomfortable musicals, Parade and The Scottsboro Book. Thanks. He didn't say Diana. Well, it, it is a favorite musical but it's not my favorite uh it does make us uncomfortable <laughs> made you uncomfortable a lot of people anyways go continue parade is such a powerful show and it's so depressing but there's moments in it that are so joyful which is also what makes it that message at the end when spoiler alert leo frank is lynched Sorry, it happened 100 years ago. You should know by now. You know, when you're talking about that, and it makes when Leo Frank uh, says the Shema right before he's lynched, it makes that moment that much more powerful because throughout the show, you've seen the abuse that he's taken as a Jew. And same thing with the Scottsboro Boys. That show is the most uncomfortable I've ever been in the theater. And I saw it when I was like 14, 15, and I've been thinking about it ever since. I'm dying to see it again because I've just never seen something so messagey. That's not a word, but like with such a powerful message like that, that makes you really think. That was the first piece of theater that I saw that really like made me think like Mm -hmm. that, you know, and a production like that talking about design, you know, that's that show's set design is six chairs and nothing else, a couple of pieces of wood. And what Beowulf Borat and Susan Stroman do with that set is insane. But I do think how a show, to go back to hair, a show with a message shouldn't be ignored. The message should just be made relevant in a new way in America. And so just, I do think when you have a show that is with a message that's a historical message, bringing it back and trying to make the message relevant, not necessarily the show relevant, but the message of the show relevant is a really cool and important way of doing it. Okay, well, I think you probably need to see it to get it, maybe, because there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of speaking to the audience and stuff like that. However, I'm still sending you off to detention. Anyways, it looks like we can shave off the hair and drop out to Napoli. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales 
a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time, and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Landing with a thud that echoes throughout the whole cottage, Toniston instantly rips off the manky shoes gifted to him by Milford and tosses them into the corner behind a blue barrel. Without a second thought, the bully races down the hallway to the backmost room of the house and leaps behind his uncomfortable makeshift hay bed, then waits, and waits, and then waits some more, until finally, what seems like an eternity later, muffled growls start vibrating through the thin walls of Cubpaw's cottage. He tries to control his breathing, but his heart is racing way too fast. Toniston ducks down further. Nothing should be able to see him, but he can't be sure they won't smell him. The gruff growling grows louder. Toniston presses his ear against the cold, chipped, chalky wall. He thinks he can make out phrases like, Where is it? And, Give us the merge, though not much else. It's all too mumbled, and he's shaking too much. But it doesn't matter anymore. The front door of the cottage slams open with a harder, louder, cracking thud than it ever had before. A dozen or so stomping footsteps enter. The cottage shakes uncontrollably as if it is as terrified as our friend the bully is. Toniston panics. He's trapped in a corner with a slew of sharks on his trail. He makes a sudden rash decision. Ripping aside the thick animal hide curtain, Toniston leaps through the small oval-shaped window headfirst, landing on a crate filled with hay sitting outside it. Mustering every ounce of manliness he has not to react verbally as he lands with a crunch on the sharp, pin-like hay. It pierces his skin in several places, but thankfully, in his panicked state, the bully becomes numb to the pain. Counting his blessings, but not his chickens, Toniston struggles out of the crate by throwing his legs over and levering himself up, causing the coral underneath his feet to snap. He loses balance and tumbles. To describe the pain of tumbling face first down a steep hill of hard, sharp, deadly shaped coral would require far too many swear words than this author would be allowed to publish. So let's just say it hurt a lot. With one last somersault, Toniston's legs fly first over the cliff's edge. Crunch. His left hand grabs hold of the outmost jagged knob of coral. The stocky body of the ten-year-old child sways rapidly back and forth like some sort of death-defying pendulum. He gasps for air, or from shock, not even Toniston can tell. All he knows is above him, a deadly coral cliff and deadlier sharks. Below him, larger, sharper coral under a sea of giant, sharp spikes of natural metal. His head throbbing and vision too blurred with bright red splotches to be able to see clearly for too long. His face is dripping with blood. It runs down his shirt front, tickling him in the process. But all he can do is swing there. It's moments like these that a boy really needs his mum. Unfortunately, while Toniston's life hangs in the balance, on earth his life was dishonestly being celebrated by all at Gumbire Primary School after news of the bully's disappearance had spread like wildfire through the tiny town, then onto the music industry before eventually reaching the wider world. 
Rock music fans, specifically those of Muzzletop, had flocked to the outskirts of Melbourne, leaving wreaths, band posters, and hand-drawn tributes to honour the missing son of their favourite singer. Although none of them knew the boy, many had seen him standing on the side of the stage of the band's concerts alongside Tina. Also, at the time of his disappearance, hundreds of the world's entertainment media lined the streets outside the school and sadly, outside Tina's house. Wanting any word they could get their greasy hands on, the gossip came in thick and fast as snide, bored neighbours took it upon themselves to speculate and make up stories for their five minutes of fame. Inside the house, the phone ringing 10, 15 times a day from nosy TV stations, hounding the poor, terrified mother, there was no escape. And whilst Tina was never polite in her declination, still they persisted. Call me again and I'll punch you in the nose! she promised. The school's principal, Mr. Patterson, had himself realised how cold and nasty it would look if Toniston Turnbull's former victims didn't at least pretend to mourn his disappearance. And thus, with an added paranoia of becoming a suspect, Mr. Patterson set out to overcompensate with memorials and dedications to the boy who touched all our lives with his love of animals. Mr. Patterson felt satisfied his school's image was intact. The largest memorial from the school came in the form of a service in the gymnasium. With every student, teacher, news reporter and local police in attendance, Mr. Patterson sought to show the world just how much Toniston had meant to the school. The service would have made the bully puke. From the awful school choir butchering his least favourite songs, to the obnoxious releasing of the White Doves, Mr. Patterson may have been satisfied his memorial service paid tribute, but Toniston is far too cynical for that. And yet, whilst hundreds of people sat on the cold plastic seats in the Gumbire Primary School Auditorium, not one person in attendance truly knew Toniston when he was around. But all alone, in her large house, the animals all shunned outside, Tina Turnbull sits with her umpteenth glass of wine, ignoring the umpteenth phone call from friends, fans and family, but most sad of all, wondering, for the umpteenth time, what she could have said to her only child to have brought the two of them closer together. A now broken photo of Trent Turnbull and an infant Toniston, only hours after his birth, sits at her feet under the table. Tina simply doesn't care about the million tiny shards of glass cutting up her feet. She just wants her son back. And as if joined at the soul, while dangling from the lavender-coloured dead coral cliff face, somewhere in his head voice, Tina's cries are heard by the boy. His face scrunches up, but then it relaxes. I can do this. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! And we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, Spencer's in detention, and I'm joined by the superhero princess. It's Sunita. Goodness gracious me. Now, I know you love a fashion moment. I have been deep diving into so many images of you on catwalks, on red carpets, at events, here, there, and everywhere. I'm like, yes, queen. Goodness gracious me. <laughs> I made my red carpet debut last week, last Thursday. I got- oh, did you? 
What did you wear? This. That's why I'm wearing it today. What do you think? Oh, did I do good? Fabulous. I love it. I love it. A shirt. Is it a shirt and a tie or is that yes. the front of the shirt? Okay, yes. It's a bananas in pajamas tie from that the kids show uh, bananas in pajamas. Oh, okay. So on the podcast it looks like a sort of very old fashioned sort of crevette or oh, something. Oh wow. Yeah. So the shirt's kind of funky. It's got sort of different patterns on it. Yeah. Did you see the Barbie movie? No, um, I got invited to Moulin Rouge when it reopened in Melbourne. Ooh. Oh, wow. In the show is Simon Burke. So I sort of wore my bananas in pyjamas tie as a little, because he's been on this show. Oh, nice. So how did you like the carpet and the whole premiere night thing? I thought there was so many people had no idea who they were and why are they in the spotlight, but all the famous people were trying to hide from the spotlight. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> But anyway, funny. and I was one of the nobodies that was there and here I was trying to hide from the spotlight. Uh, so what tips would you have for my next red carpet event if I get invited to another one? Wear pink. I've mixed lavender, brown, orange pants that had black jeans over them. Yeah, but no, I think that's good because look, there's nobody else would have been on there that looked like you. So you had your own thing going on. What kind of shoes did you wear, more importantly? Converse, patchwork, the Chuck Taylors, you know, the, the like the canvas shoes that sort oh, of got, wow. But they, they actually matched. It, everything matched and it looked really good. But when I was telling people what I'm going to wear, like I'm going to be mixing brown with lavender and orange and black. Black. Oh, what? Yeah. And I look But good. somehow, it, but I think only you could really pull that off. You and Harry Styles. Harry, yeah. I'm coming for your title, mate. Now, yeah. if, if RuPaul's Drag Race ever does a night of a thousand Sunitas, which of your past fashion looks would you love to see the queens recreate? Oh, my gosh. I think they should all wear something from each video and, and X Factor outfits as well. I'd like to see it all. I love yeah. repertoire. Mm. I love the dog biscuit outfit you wore. That was cute. Oh, the biscuits, yes. I forgot yeah. about that. Because <laughs> you think that drag queen is going to do that one, for one thing. If it's going to be big biscuits, you know, they're going to do like oh. over-the-top ones. Uh, there was actually one one outfit you wore. It was a pink pants suit you wore, and I think it sort of cut off a little bit here, but there was a black sparkly oh, jacket. Do you, you... Know what that was? I wore a pink suit, and then I was like, pink suit. Uh, I was wearing black sequin shoes, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll bling it up. So then I put my black suit jacket on top of the pink jacket to just lift it a bit. Yep. Then I met transgender queen Talula Eve as I was going in. So we kind of grabbed yep. each other and did the red carpet together. And oh, I have to say that was a happy moment. I was very happy with those pictures. I'm glad you liked that outfit. I forgot about yep. that. That just happened. Two suits, two suit jackets on top of the other. Have you worn that? You should wear that to your next one. A pink suit with a black sequin jacket over. Uh, I don't, mm -hmm. but I don't, pink doesn't really go with me unless it's like a fuchsia. I can do a fuchsia, but if it's too light because my my skin's very sort of pinkish already like really pasty white anyways you think it's too pretty much. nude yeah like i freak out if, if someone's wearing a flesh colored top and they're walking down the street like i'm about <laughs> to walk into a tree because i don't know where to look because i think oh my god there's someone topless walking towards me now i just <laughs> want to put a complaint out there to the daily mail there was one absolute stunning picture of you that they claimed you were trying to do a kim kardashian and all I can say is Daily Mail, fuck off. That was a Diana Ross look. We all know 
the Queen. It was a, like a, a netted type thing that came down and there was a long straight hair. And I looked at it and I said, you were doing a Diana Ross look. Yeah, yeah. It's always Diana Ross. It's always the boss, See, Diana Ross. It's not Kim Kardashian. Yeah, Kim Kardashian is, yeah, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad you got it, you know. Yes. Well, yeah. I I earn my gay card. Let's just say that. <laughs> Anyways, we'll move on from fashion because I could talk about it all day. Now, what makes you give a standing ovation when you are an audience member? Oh, my gosh. So I gave the last time. Okay, so I saw the Michael Jackson musical in New York. Mm -hmm. And the guy who plays Michael Jackson is incredible. Like, I, I was prepared to not like this. And I went with someone who's the most evil critic ever. So, like, we, we basically would have burned the theater down. Like, this is, this, these people better be great. Otherwise, how dare they kind of thing, right? Yeah. But he was so good that I spent the interval going, Do you think it could be Michael? And he's just faked his own death <laughs> so that he's free and he's performing in this musical himself. That's how good the guy is. And I kind of stood up almost after every number because he was so flawless and not like a cheesy tribute act. I'm talking about like as if it's the king himself. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It hasn't, hasn't opened to you yet. It will, no doubt. We've just gotten Tina. Are they even are they rehearsals there yet for it? No, I don't think it's been announced. So, but it, it will happen, no doubt. Now, I've just got some questions about your podcast, Sunita Podtails, uh, more specifically the Atonist 16, which for the people at home is Sunita backwards, obviously, and Studio 16. Uh, you found these kids online. They're not kids. They are artists. They are incredibly talented. There's a vast array of talents there, like a real mix, producers, singers, songwriters. Um, You've conquered every aspect of the arts and earned the title of legend, icon, and gay idol. Does it ever feel like t today's audiences are investing less interest in talented artists, but more into quote unquote influencers and Kardashians? I mean, just to, before you answer that, if I'm looking at pictures of you and they're saying that you pull a Kim Kardashian, but you've actually pulled a Diana Ross, that tells me that people are investing too much into influencers, but that's my answer. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because it's like people don't know who Stevie Wonder is, but they know who so-and-so on TikTok is. And you're kind of like, wow, because, you know, it's like having lots of followers is like the new talent. It's seen as a superpower, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. No. Amen. Because influencers, I think, should at least if you're gonna influence then they should be turning the young people on to great music, great people, you know, like give them a bit of history and education and information. Don't show them pictures of yourself putting on makeup. That's exactly you're just like you fart in a jar and suddenly you got a million followers. Goodness <laughs> gracious me. I know. Anyways, you have been incredibly raw on your podcast, Sunita Potales, uh, especially in, in the opening episode. You open up about something, you know, so, so incredibly raw. You're living in Britain where it is tabloid central that they will throw anything at the screen or at a piece of paper. Has this been empowering to you and liberating taking your narrative into your own hands in this way? I, I think so, yes. Yeah. Because for years, you sort of grow up, you know, growing up before it was all newspapers, you know, 
you know, the, the few weeks uh, before it turns into fish and chip paper. Yep. And people could write if they wanted, and you just had to sort of man up and, you know, grin and bear it and get through it. Mm-hmm. But at least it disappeared after that. Nowadays, even something that's not true, because it's digital media, it lasts forever. So, you know, you can't, if, you know, in a way, thank goodness, you are able to sort of speak directly and for yourself. And if people want to really find out who you are and what you like, they can go to your pages and stuff and get mm-hmm. involved. But I, I yep. think it's empowering from that point of view, because people believe a lot of crazy stuff about me that in the end, you can't be bothered to defend. You get to a certain age and you're like, well, whatever, does anyone really care anyway? But the truth is, you want to die on the right side of history. You know, it's, it's, I may not care for myself, but what about my kids? What about my kids' kids? And if there's a whole load of stuff out there that isn't corrected, then they believe, you know, what anyone else has made up about you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people will watch the VH1 telly movies and believe what's on them, you know? Yeah. This is it. Audiences can be quite gullible, but yeah. Which podcast did you see that you thought was quite raw? Well, I watched the first one. Was you had had uh, had some weight loss and you had the fillers, and I cried. Oh, the whole thing with the fillers! Oh my god! Oh my god! It was so painful getting it out of my face. Babe. It was awful, awful. I can imagine. I, I, I. I really connected with that because i'm skinny i weigh 44 kilograms on a good day and wow i well at the moment i'm really really hungry because you know i've been working all night and i've sort of been snacking i haven't Mm -hmm. had time really to to have a proper meal um because you know with other episodes that i've still got to wrangle together as well and um you know, so I struggle with my weight. So I sort of really connected with that. That I I know mm-hmm. the links I want to go to to look normal, to be able to go yeah. into a bar and not have a guy say to me, oh, you look like E.T. needs a sandwich. Yeah. I just said hi to you. You know, I just say, hey, yeah. how's it going? And the first words out of your mouth is to comment on what I look like. If I was mm. overweight, that would not be good enough. I would have every right to put you on blast, but because I'm skinny and society puts that thing on skinny, it's the ideal to Mm -hmm. be. It means that people can get away with saying it to me because I'm a guy, you know, and good on you for putting that out there. It's like, it's incredibly raw. It was, you know, not easy to watch, not easy to watch. Let's just say. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. If we get up the people asking me if I had AIDS and it was like what like really did did you really say that you know I get that too I've gotten that too are are you on drugs yeah but anyways let's move on to a more fun question which of the seven deadliest sins entices you the most seven deadliest sins yeah it's gotta be greed right Mm -hmm. it's greed one of them what wait tell me the seven deadly sins you know what I thought adultery was one (laughs) apparently it's not greed lust We've got lust, no, but lust is pride, wrath, pride, wrath, greed. What's avarice? Uh, avarice. I don't know what avarice. Or is that lust? Is that lust? I don't know. Avarice isn't one. I thought there were seven. Okay, think of the Brad Pitt movie. Oh yeah, the gluttony. Uh, Gluttony's one, I think. Gluttony stuff. Jealousy. Envy. Yes, envy. That's right. I I used a couple. Yeah, it was envy, lust, greed, uh, coveting somebody else's thing, stealing, lying. And is it murder? Oh, hang on. Let's, I've got Wikipedia up. Let's look seven deadly sins. Cause I tried to work all seven of them into your introduction. I got three. Okay. <laughs> lust. Cause how, how was I supposed to fit lust into your introduction? Like as we lust after this lady, like that's just going to be weird. Cause we just met uh, <laughs> gluttony. Yeah. Greed, sloth, wrath or wrath. 
envy and pride. Yeah, okay. I would say the ones that I would find that I would struggle with the most would probably pride and greed. Mm -hmm. But because greed can be just anything, it's not just like eating greed, but you know, like buying stuff. Like, I if I'm upset, I go shopping. If I'm happy, I go shopping. Like, I buy stuff, but it doesn't even have to be like something beautiful, like clothing or anything. It'd be anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't walk through an app without, even if it's a stupid pen, I just have to buy something. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with me? Can you, I don't know when you find out. Can you please tell me so I can find out what's wrong with my mom? Because she does exactly the same thing. <laughs> she literally, she went into Coles or the supermarket today to buy a loaf of bread and came out with four packets of chocolate biscuits, purely because they're on sale. I mean, we don't need them. It was a bargain. There are chocolate biscuits in the cupboard, but they were there on sale. But that was a bargain. And then, of course, I get that from her. So I didn't just buy one shirt for this red carpet event i brought three you see i think i get it from my mom yeah do you know what? it's our mother's fault. it's our mom we need to call our moms yes and talk to them <laughs> yeah <That's> <laughs> anyways last question a little bit of a scandalous one maybe we don't know was it a competitive environment working within the stock aiken and waterman empire Yes, say yes, because I mean, you know, it was all about songs. It was all about getting yeah. getting great songs. And let's face it, Kylie got all the great songs. Sorry. I did love Kylie. I mean, well, I do. I do still love Kylie, but I did love her. But I did used to think, oh, my God, they love Kylie more than me because they give Kylie the better songs. They gave Kylie better the devil, you know. I know I talk about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted it. And, you know, you think I'd be over it now. It's like 30 years later, but they gave Kylie better the devil they know. <laughs> yeah, Dora, I get it. But I'm kind of okay. Okay, now, I've decided that, you know, maybe I love the song so much because I saw the video and it was her version of it and the way she looked in the video because this was the introduction of Park Kylie and, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. So that's probably why I like it so much. And maybe if I just heard the song on its own, maybe I wouldn't have liked it. See? Put a little on it. I put a spin on it, put a block on it. I'm okay now. And you can always do a cover. Is there anything stopping you from doing a cover? There's nothing stopping me do doing a cover. In fact, what a great idea. I think I'm going to do a cover of it. 10%, Yay. please. <laughs> Just being a <laughs> shithead, really. That's it. Before I let you go, the poster on my wall is of the movie 54 because... Oh, it's love 54. Obviously... Your mum performed there. I read a story online of some gay guy was dancing on stage with your mum at Studio 54 to So Many Men, So Little Time. Uh -huh. And obviously, uh, Knock on Wood is in the movie 54. So we've got an almost finger. Is this movie out now or is this an old movie? 1998 it was released. So 1998. Okay, yes. so I must have seen that 100 years ago. I need to watch it again. Yes. Is, is So Many Men in it? No, no, unfortunately no. not, no. Uh. So I think by the time it was performed was, I think, 83. I, I think the movie sort of stops right before that or at least it rounds up the storylines. Around then, yeah. Eventually closes cool. a few years later. Who directed that? Mark Christopher is He's got Mike Myers. As um, I know his name as the owner. Oh, the guy who Steve Rubell. Steve Rubell. Rubell, yeah. Neve yeah, Campbell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Philippe, and his bare bum, Ooh. and Selma Hayek, who is goddess. I need to watch this movie. But yes. that didn't come out in eighty. What? When did this movie come out? Nineteen ninety-eight. Oh yeah, of course. He was yeah. in uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
Fools Rush In. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Fools Rush In with Matthew Perry. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to watch. I might watch that this weekend. I absolutely love it. There's a director's cut as well. I was Mm -hmm. 13 years old seeing this movie at the cinemas, dreaming of I wish I could have been in New York in the late 70s to have gone to 54. Oh. I still haven't been to New York and I'm 38. Oh, you've never been. I've never been. It's 25 years later. Thank you so much, Sunita. I am so thrilled, as I said, that you said yes, and you have just been so much fun and so cool and and everything I could hope for and more. And the stories, oh, my God, the stories, like David Bowie, I need to to know more about that. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Um, I hope you get to eat. I mean, your stomach sounds like a really, really, really hungry lion. Uh, it, it is. It is. It's very much. I've like had like four English muffins in the past 24 hours because I've just like I've had to edit one episode. I've had to work on this episode and then I've had to advertise the episode that we've just put out. Then I've sort of had to, you know, you do it all yourself. Yeah. The good thing is that when this show is making heaps of money, you get to keep all the money because it's all you, baby. Yeah. Well, no, I want to I want to pay my team. I, I do look forward to, to paying them. Um, Are you going to pay the team? When I can. Yeah. Yeah. When I can. May as well pay the Yeah, no, yeah, I would. They are great. Right but, thing to do. Uh, just before you go, <laughs> where can people find you on the social medias? Oh, you can find me um as the Sunita Official on Instagram, the Sunita Official on I think Facebook, uh the Sunita Official on TikTok, and the Sunita Official on Twitter. But they took away my blue tick. Apparently I have to buy it now. So oh, gotta... no. so annoying, right? I know. Because the thing is they took it away so they they didn't buy it from me they took it from me mm. and now i have to buy it that's just wrong but yeah his name's an anagram of lone scum so let's roll with that people oh. uh, anyways it's it's us pay uh, it's us <laughs> he made this 14 billion dollar mistake and so now we have to give our money to lone scum so that he makes it back again no you made that stupid mistake you absolute idiot Goodness gracious me, when I brought the wrong pairs of shoes on sale that I knew I could not take back, but I wasn't sure, quite sure if they'd fit me, but I didn't have time to try them on. That was my own fault. Mm. I did not get my $80 back. That's right. And, and he was, should know better. He should know better. Yeah. That actually didn't yeah. happen, by the way. I'm much smarter than to buy shoes <laughs> that, I, that don't fit me. <laughs> but it was just a good example at the time that I pulled out of nowhere. It was a great example. That's it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, please talk to me on social media, people. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, and you can see my podcast on Spotify. Yes, it's called Sunita Podtails, I think. Yeah, yes, and yes, sort of different shows you do celebrity interviews as well. Do you know what? This is the oddest uh show I've ever been on, but I've really enjoyed it. Yep. I think odd is, is, is brilliant because it's kind of interesting. I felt engaged, I felt yeah. like I don't know what you're going to say next. And um, and I feel like we're like friends, like we're just friends catching up on FaceTime. Yeah, and, and, and we have, we had never spoken before either. That is absolutely amazing. I'm I'm so honoured that you'd 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 say that. Anyway, a huge huge thank you to Sunita for joining me. That was an absolute thrill, and I had so much fun. I'm always disappointed when my co-hosts can't make it. However, we make up for it by having brilliant conversations anyways. So you can find us on the socials at Thrush and Treasure on Twitter, at Thrush and Treasure Podcast 
on Instagram, Facebook at Thrush and Treasure and Blooming Theatricals, as well as Patreon at Blooming Theatricals. Plus, you can buy The Toniston Tales and read The Toniston Tales at thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore and use the code TNT20 for 20% off. We'll be back next week where Matt is hosting. We've got a special guest from Australia, one of Matt's friends. So we really look forward to that. The pre-announced episode that was meant to be this week without me in it at all is being moved a couple of episodes. So that'll be maybe 103 or 104, depending on how that is. As we say, technical difficulties. A huge, huge thank you to Team Sunita, especially Shadi. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Thank you so much. Truly, thank you so, so much for your help in organizing this interview. Oh, also... Coming up this December through to January, I believe, Sunita and Queen Michael Brown, her mum, will be both performing in the pantomime Dick Whittington, and that's playing at the Escher Theatre, E-S-H-E-R. So check below in our description for all the links. They might be clickable depending on what app you are using, so you can find links to Sunita's website, her socials, her podcast, as well as Dick Whittington and Charlie the Chocolate Factory for Jonathan. So anyways, to you at home, you take care. Thank you so much for listening and we shall see you next time. Uru. Get some food, get some sleep. Like, like.